0: The 630Chad Afternoon News with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630Chad. As we continue with Alberta Matters with a focus on immigration today, one of the big questions is how does one physically and properly immigrate to Canada? Um, What does the immigration process entail? To find out, we're joined by Raj Sharma, the managing partner of Stuart Sharma Harsani in Calgary. It's one of the largest immigration firms in Canada. He's also an adjunct professor with the University of Calgary, teaching immigration and refugee law. Welcome to the show.
1: It's a pleasure.
0: I want to start by asking you about Liberal leader Justin Trudeau. I know on your on your website, um, it states right there: every lawyer at this office is the son or daughter of immigrants. The majority of our support staff choose to immigrate to this country. Given, you know, who you work with, your clients, your personal background, what is going through your mind when you've seen those pictures of uh, Justin Trudeau in in uh, brownface and in blackface?
1: Well, I, I was. I was born in Canada, I was born in Hamilton, Ontario, I grew up in in a small coal mining town and and I myself have experienced uh, incidents of racism, I remember older kids spitting on me in grade four, these -hmm. things sort of stay with you, Um, so I suppose the first reaction really was a a, a truly deep um, feeling of uh, profound disappointment
0: what kind of impact do you think that this could have for or on immigrants wanting to come to Canada and, and how do they perceive our country?
1: Well, I think immigrants, immigrants by their nature are, are optimistic. They're, they're hoping for a brighter future for themselves and, and particularly for their children. So I'm sure they, they share that, that feeling of disappointment. Um, again, perhaps that feeling would be tempered if, the Prime Minister wasn't so vocal or at least let's say um, certainly he he put himself on perhaps a different standard, and so when we fall short of standards that mm. that inevitably gives rise to these concerns regarding for example hypocrisy
0: was his apology good enough do you think
1: The apology would have been better if it wasn't uh, if it wasn't sparked by him getting caught, if it wasn't sparked by the exclusive story by Time Magazine, if it wasn't sparked by this sort of revelation, so I, I suppose it would have been better if, if he had come forward on his own accord as opposed to being um, compelled to do so, and and it would have been better if he disclosed, for example, the third incident of 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 blackface, or, or and so. You know, I, I, again, Canadians are very forgiving, and so you know once could be uh, a mistake, twice could be a uh, coincidence. I think third time is is usually uh, indicative of something deeper perhaps. But again, i'm not I'm not calling Justin Trudeau a racist. I think that this speaks more to um, his his privilege growing up. It mm-hmm. speaks to the bubble that he occupied, probably since his birth. It speaks to his incredible maturity, immaturity until a very late stage in life um you know clearly he's he's embracing two turban seek men in one of the photos uh, and grinning and so i i honestly don't think he saw anything truly wrong with what he was doing it, it just speaks to um incredible sort of immaturity and incredible sort of uh, uh lack of intellect that I, I would say at that point and again you're 29 or 30 it's uh you definitely have to be accountable or responsible for your actions.
0: One more question on this front, and it stems from a post that was on your Twitter feed today. There was a post that talked about new citizens equal new voters, that Canada added more than 556,000 naturalized citizens since the last election. Do you think what has played out over the past 24 hours will have an impact on the election with those new Canadians?
1: I think so. I wrote a, I co-wrote a paper with uh, Tyler Shandro, now the Minister of Health, um, in 2015, and this was in the aftermath of the 2015 election, and, and how immigrants and new Canadians would impact the 2019. And, and so we, we were able to sort of demonstrate the inroads that the Conservatives made under uh, Stephen Harper in the election prior with Jason Kenney winning, for example, the 905. Yeah, uh, and that area code is very, very important. So I think the impact here, and, and I think, and again, I'm not, I don't know, take it for what it is. My insight, I'm an immigration lawyer, but what I see here is that Jagmeet Singh, as the only uh, political leader, person of color, racialized uh, Canadian, his response um, and his campaigning in the last little bit, this may give uh, give wind somewhat to his wings and and give him breathe new life to Jagmeet Singh and and now the NDP might actually, uh, you know, challenge the uh, and draw some votes away from the liberals in, in some ridings, let's say in B.C. and, and, and in certain ridings in Ontario. So um, I think the immediate sort of, uh, let's say, impact will be, I think, for, for the NDP fortunes because of uh, Jagmeet Singh.
0: Mr. Sharma, I wanted to talk to you specifically today about the immigration uh, uh, process to come to Canada. That's why um, we had originally uh, arranged for this interview, as we kind of take a deep dive on immigration, um, as we outline some of the the planks and the platforms that uh, that matter to Canadians, and of course, immigration is one of those ones that I would say uh, rank top five when you when you look at the process um, for the people. People to come to Canada. You've been doing this for many, many years now. Um, is there a way that you can explain easily the process and how it works?
1: I'll do my best. I, I think uh, if I were to say that Canadians are very supportive of immigration, generally speaking. And so we have a high degree of confidence in our system that has been shaken in the last couple of years because of the flows of irregular migrants across the border mm-hmm. coming across the our southern border with the United States. So support for our regular immigration system is high. Support for our regular immigration system is high because we get to pick our um, immigrants. And so the point system, which was brought into... Force under this prime minister's father's regime almost 50 years ago. This was the the points-based system, the merit-based system that other countries have sought to emulate. I mean, they in the U.S. Um, this is the envy. They they envy this meritocratic system, which is based on a, an immigrant or a migrant sort of potential to contribute. And so we we pick immigrants, and these are called economic class immigrants. So we pick them based on their age, their education, their work experience, their language proficiency. So migrants under that class um, are selected for their ability to settle or integrate uh, economically mm. in particular. And so that's one major sort of uh, basis of our, of, of our immigrants. So, so somewhere around 300,000 or so per year, you're looking at a population, you know, more than the population of, the city of Saskatoon. So th- that's the economic class, and that's how my father immigrated to Canada in 1970. You then have the non-economic class. So the non-economic class is made up of family class. So what, what the U.S. calls chain migration, we call the family class. And we can sponsor parents and grandparents, and we can sponsor different brothers and sisters, for example, and, and other family members. So that's the family class. And again, that usually is uh, not very controversial. Um, and then we get into other classes such as refugees, refugees mm-hmm. that make claims inside Canada or refugees that are sponsored from outside Canada. So that's broad, broadly speaking, those are the different sort of classes.
0: A lesson in immigration today with Alberta Matters. When we come back, we'll find out how the refugee system works. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show. We're joined this afternoon by immigration lawyer Raj Sharma talking about the process. Uh, let's focus in on the refugee process. How does it work?
1: Well, there's uh, again. There's let's let's break that into two different types of uh, refugees. So there's refugees that come to a port of entry or make a claim from inside Canada. So those claims are handled by a tribunal called the Immigration Refugee Board, and the Immigration Refugee Board was set up about 30 years ago or so, and that was done under. Uh, Brian Mulroney. And that was done in response to a Supreme Court of Canada decision called SINGH, which held that um, refugees um, have a hearing. Uh, Refugees inside Canada need to have a hearing, an oral hearing. And so that's that's the internal mechanism that we set up. And that's the place where I started working as a refugee protection officer Mm. about 17 years ago. Then we have the ability uh, to bring refugees in from outside Canada. So these are sponsored refugees and there's two sort of general ways of doing it. Canada is the only country in the world that allows Canadians or, or Canadian permanent residents, individuals to sponsor refugees from outside Canada. So there's, there's a private sponsorship, sometimes known as a group of five. Um, there's sponsorship agreement holders. There's some churches, for example, other community organizations that are um, authorized to bring in... Uh, claimants or refugees from outside Canada, and then there's the government-assisted refugees.
0: And when we talk about this, I don't even have to look at my text line right now, and I can guarantee you there are people um, wondering about the vetting process. What does that look like?
1: Well, the vetting process for government-assisted refugees is fairly robust. First of all, the individuals have to be recognized as refugees by the UNHCR, or mm-hmm. they have to be certified as refugees in the country that they're they're in, for example. Uh, so first of all, you have that process where the UNHCR has already screened these individuals and has sort of verified their their claims. Um, in the past, a little bit when we did bring in larger numbers, uh, the Syrians, for example, you did have teams of Canadian processing teams, in, you know, Canadian processing teams that were sent to various areas to interview and screen potential candidates for resettlement in Canada. So, um, you know, I understand the concerns. Look, when you're dealing with other countries and you you have countries that perhaps have undeveloped, underdeveloped uh, police or judicial or legal systems, uh, your screening can only be good as, for example, police clearances or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, the the information or intel that you have on the ground. So um, we will never get to perhaps, uh, you know, perfect screening. And, and, you know, it's very hard to predict what people will do in the future, even if they don't have at present uh, a criminal record.
0: Mr. Sharma, um, now earlier this year, I know that, I think it was earlier this year, there was word of a major backlog of legacy refugee claims. And I know that, you know, um, I, I've heard from different people about trying to to get to the country, and it can take a, a very, very long time. Has that process or has that timeline uh, eased up at all?
1: That's a, that's a great question. I think um, we have to bear in mind there's been a lot of misinformation and in fact I believe that uh, you know Andrew Shear kind of perpetuated a, a sort of myth about uh, the irregular claimants that are arriving crossing the border so these are different streams so for example, if you have an overseas process, that overseas process is going to take a couple of years it's going to take about three years That's that's not going to be impacted by the sort of Exceptional inflow that we've experienced over the last couple of years across the border. So the in Canada system doesn't impact the overseas system and vice versa. Okay. There is, there is a backlog. There is a backlog at the refugee, uh, at the board that handles in Canada claims. So that backlog, and it's because refugee flows are episodic. And so when I started at the refugee protection division, we were dealing with the massive tens of thousands of, um, inflow after September 11th, mm. and so a backlog developed at that time, and so again we have, uh, you know, the board was set up and was handling about twenty thousand or finalizing about twenty thousand claims per year, and then you had inflows uh, much more than that. So uh, the the immediate consequence is that there's going to be a backlog. So again, the Immigration Refugee Board has responded. The episodic sort of flows seem to be uh, have abated for now let's see uh, what uh, you know, Donald Trump or his administration does next because that could impact the hundreds of thousands of individuals in the U.S. with precarious status. So what will happen with the Dreamers? What will happen yeah. with their parents? What will happen with these individuals with the so-called temporary protected status um, from Central America? Um, so that may well change um, one way or the other. For now, it appears that the, that the inflow has abated to some degree.
0: Reading this morning that um, Canada's population projected to flourish as a result of Immigration Statistics Canada reporting that uh, Canadian population could reach 55 million people by 2068 and the rate of population growth in Alberta uh, from immigrants would be the highest among Canadian provinces over the next 25 years, saying uh, the population could reach a high of 7.3 million people by 2043. Um, what is it about Alberta? Why is it that people are coming to Alberta, want to come to Alberta?
1: Well, I think this harkens back to a bit to Jason Kenney. When Jason Kenney was the Minister of Citizenship and Immigration, I think Jason Kenney recognized that many immigrants share conservative ideals. There's, there's a sort of... Uh, Distrust, let's say, of authority or or governments. There's this sort of uh, entrepreneur ethos. Mm-hmm. There's some degree of social conservative views, and so um, if those things are present in Alberta, and again, Alberta itself is changing uh, since I've been around, um, but that 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 speaks to immigrants because immigrants, again, tend to be. Uh, create business they're small business owners, yeah. but uh, you know that that ethos is with them and and Alberta rewards this, this sort of uh, this western ideals actually accords quite well with uh with with immigrant values
0: before I let you go um you know with uh this influx expected with this growth expected mr Sharmer are 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 the supports in place for um these new Canadians um And if not, what needs to be done?
1: I'll call that a work in progress. Uh, You know, you're always going to play catch-up to some degree or the other. And so, again, because we have refugee flows are episodic, we can't uh, quite—resources are always going to try to play catch-up there. In terms of the other, you know, to the degree that we plan our immigration, and and we plan our immigration levels quite well, for example— We've, we've announced that we're going to take uh, over 300,000 for the next little bit, next couple of years. We're going to achieve a million in, in, a, in a three-year span. So, you know, presumably the bean counters at Immigration have also done what's necessary and support, you know, immigration settlement agencies such as, um, you know, CCIS here in Calgary, the Calgary uh, Catholic Immigrant uh, Services and and Immigrant Services Calgary, and and other, you know, settlement agencies in in Edmonton as well. So hopefully everything is going hand in hand.
0: Mr. Sharma, I want to thank you for taking your time and taking the time this afternoon and um, helping explore this and answer some questions on it. I really, really appreciate it.
1: It was my pleasure. Thank you.